1: Good afternoon, and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Recovery begins with education, and Host Mary Woods is here to educate individuals and families and provide support through the recovery process. Now here's your host, Mary Woods. Well, good afternoon,
2: everyone. This is Eileen Fiore sitting in for Mary Woods today for one hour at a time, and we have an interesting guest today. Lisa Arnold comes to us from Fairfield University's Collegiate Recovery Program. It's a very unique and um, in-depth program addressing some of the needs of students in recovery. Um, Lisa has a strong background in working in this field. Um, she has over twenty. 20- 21 years of experience working in a variety of settings, but has been with the university for um, about the past 15 years. So, um, Lisa, welcome to the show. Uh, Thank you very much for um, being with us this afternoon. Um, You know, I'm I'm wondering if we could uh, maybe start with taking a look at... uh, What would come about and lead a prestigious university, um, such as Fairfield University, to dedicate such substantial resources to this particular student issue? Well,
3: thank you, Eileen, and I'm happy to be here today. Um, That is a pretty broad question. I feel like it's really been a collaborative effort involving the Vice President of Student Affairs the Dean of Students, Residence Life, Counseling and Psychological Services, and Campus Ministry. We took a look at the rise in alcohol and drug-related incidents on our campus, as well as around the country. It's interesting because people often say to me, Wow, you have a collegiate recovery program. You must have a serious problem at Fairfield University. Actually, many of our residents are transfers from other universities around the country who did not offer programs like ours, and students are often forced to leave their respective schools. Our university falls in line with all the national stats for alcohol and drug use. The difference is that we believe in social justice and our Jesuit mission to meet their needs and ensure that these students are offered a second chance. Is there social stigma? Of course there is, but we overcome this with our pride to have our students who have been down this road and back, and they come knocking on our door looking for a chance to turn their life around, and we get a lot of joy out of helping these students.
2: Now, that's great to hear, and and clearly, who doesn't often need a second chance in this life, for sure? So, um, uh, it, it's Uh, Then really brings us to the the depth of your services because um, after this collaborative effort, which clearly it does take a village, um, you certainly have over time added a number of different options within your program. I wonder if you could share a little about that. Absolutely. The Recovery House program here and
3: the Collegiate Recovery Program, which work in conjunction of each other, is very holistic in its approach, Um, and it's pronged into many different, you know, components. Um, The main one that sets us apart, I think, from other schools is that we are the first residential recovery in the state of Connecticut and the first among Jesuit universities, Um, and by that I mean that we have two recovery houses within walking distance of campus. Um, they're actually located um, on the border of campus, but across the street. So on um, the parameter and all the students uh, have access to any services on campus. As a matter of fact, a lot of the residents um, in our homes are closer than some in residence halls and apartments that we have. Um, there are ten. There are two homes. They have five beds each, so we can house a total of 10 residents. We have a house manager on site who has a separate apartment, which is connected to one of the homes um, over the garage. And we have, first and foremost, is our clinical program, which is a weekly recovery group that meets um, usually in midweek when it doesn't interfere with some of the, with the students' schedules. It is facilitated by myself. Sometimes I'll have an intern or a grad student with me. And students are also required to have an individual counselor or therapist either located within our counseling department or they might have a private therapist off-site, um, which is their preference. Um, We include within the recovery group um, skill building seminars, including things like career planning, acupuncture, yoga, mindful meditation, and we also include when we do our group therapy, we have drug screens uh, randomly every couple of weeks, so the students are, you know, we make sure that they continue to remain clean and sober. We also have a community program, which includes our house manager, who runs house meetings weekly um, with all of the residents, and they often have dinner together, which is funded once a week by our program, uh, which came from a recreational fund that we were re- we received through a- an alum a few years ago, who's in recovery, who was really inspired by what we did. Uh, It's now become an endowment, so we can allocate a lot of funds for recreational opportunities, which I'm going to talk about in just a minute. We also have a spiritual component where the students are all uh, engaged in 12-step recovery. They all have a sponsor. They have uh, a home group and usually a commitment. They attend a minimum of three AA meetings a week. And they go on a spiritual retreat once a semester at Enders Island in Mystic, Connecticut. We often uh render the services of Father Tom Hoare. He's great. He meets with our students and they usually have a really good time. Um, and that really adds to the spiritual component of our program. Our students are also engaging every semester in service work. We have two projects per semester where the students are uh, giving back, it's, you know, all in the spirit of giving back. So we have them doing various things. We put them in the community, uh, painting sometimes. They've been to soup kitchens. They've helped younger children. This semester, um, actually in March, we, we are hosting a screening of Generation Found. So we're going to have an expert panel, and I need a lot of help on hand to help organize and plan for the event, and all my guys are on board, and they're going to help out um, doing various things, uh, engaging in their service work for the semester.
2: Oh, that's terrific.
3: Yeah. Lastly is our recreational program, which is actually run by our house manager, He gets the guys together at every house meeting and says, what would we like to do this month? And they come up with a recreational activity, which really lends itself to the mind-body-spirit component, um, which we actually take from extended care facilities in the area. Sober fun is so important. Um, And so they vote, and they come up with some really cool events. This past weekend, they went skiing in Killington, Uh, last semester they went go-karting they did paintball and they we early in September we took them to a Mets game at Citi Field so that was a great outing next month they all voted on snowmobiling (laughs) so that's going to be really interesting to get them out on snowmobiles for some of them so it's exciting it's very exciting
2: it sounds wonderful do uh do your students typically um, enter into the house and stay through graduation? Um, or do is this a um, a process of uh reintegrating into other kinds of living settings?
3: That's a good question. We typically have students um, due to the nature of their transfer. And and what I mean by that is oftentimes, um, for lack of a better term, they might crash someplace at a different school and then they come in with some credits. So I see students sometimes, uh, you know, in their sophomore year, sometimes mid-freshman year, sometimes junior year, um, historically, we keep students right till the end till graduation. Every year in May, um, we invite all the families and all the graduates and all the residents back for a big graduation party. And every year since we've opened in September 2013, we've had a great celebration for our graduate graduates, which we've had um, probably on average two or three per year and like I said, we typically keep them through graduation and help them kind of propel into their future jobs. We help them find internships. Um, Part of our career planning component within the seminar of our group therapy is we help them interview. We do mock interviews with them, and we really kind of help them figure out, you know, navigate that whole internship-slash-career world. Luckily, they've all come out with a job so far.
2: (laughs) Oh, that's great to hear. And um, after folks do, um, after the guys graduate and return to their homes, um, is there a connection between uh, how they're able to take their wellness and their recovery with them? Are you able to um, reach... into their communities with resources to help them sustain all the work they've done? Absolutely. I, you know, just
3: with our whole spiritual idea of engaging in 12-step recovery, it becomes so ingrained for them to continue the mission and continue going to meetings. Oftentimes, because so many of our students have over a year clean when they leave the program, they become sponsors themselves. So they have sponsors, they become sponsors, um, and the gift of giving back continues. We teach them in their spirit, in their service work. Um, that they need to continue to give back what they got, and and they enjoy doing that. A perfect example of this is my current house manager, who graduated, I'm going to say two years ago, went out into the working world for a year, got sober while he was a junior and senior, while as a student here at Fairfield University, and he returned in September to become my full-time house manager, which is wonderful to have him back. Um, there's no one better to have as a house manager than someone with experience in the house already, which is where he lived, and he finished his college career, um, as well as a couple of years in AA under his belt.
2: That's amazing. Um, and it's it's just a wonderful way of continuing to sustain the philosophy and the um, culture that you're trying to create for these um, for these guys in recovery. Um, how are you managing um, what I guess I'm assuming is a demand for these rather precious ten beds? Well uh, we take calls
3: on an as needed basis i'm I'm very right now I'm very busy with appointments, families coming in. We have a lot of inquiries. sometimes it starts as a phone screening. Other times um prospective students will ask to come in with their families or with um other loved ones to you know kind of explore kind of explore our options um, and to start making decisions because they need to apply for school now if they'd like to get in for September
2: for September well I think this is a, a wonderful spot for us to um, take a break okay. and when we come back we'll explore a little bit more about the operation of the house great
5: common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders that's westbridge.org family Center recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders
6: are your eating habits out of control does food have power over you Have you been diagnosed with an eating disorder or feel that you might have one? Before you follow advice or suggestions from uninformed sources, listen to Chasing Hunger every Tuesday with host Kathy Welter-Nichols, who will dispel the myths, reveal the secrets, share good practice, and open the gateway through awareness and deeper understanding. Every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health & Wellness.
0: It's time to experience radical well-being. Learn to nourish your heart, body, and mind. Manifest your power in the present. And learn to live your life's infinite potential. It's time to experience Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio with host Rochelle McLaughlin. Each week, you'll learn about essential skills and knowledge to help you discover and create your own experience of health and well being. And learn to be empowered to take bold and loving action toward manifesting the life you long for. Tune in every Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific and 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America's Health and Wellness Channel.
2: tuning in today. This is Eileen Fiore sitting in from Mary Woods, and today we're um, having a conversation with Lisa Arnold, and Lisa is the um, uh, representative. She's the clinical coordinator for the Collegiate Recovery Program at Fairfield University, and um, she was outlining for us the scope of services within their recovery program, very specifically um, their recovery houses, Um, and so I wonder if we could kind of go back to that a little bit, Lisa, and maybe you could um, talk a little bit more about what kind of criteria the students might have to meet for admission.
3: Sure. So we took a look at students who were leaving local rehabs or even rehabs from afar, extended care facilities, um, and we found out that many schools have a residence hall, which is set aside for students in recovery or a townhouse or like a little cottage on campus. At Fairfield, we asked students what would be most helpful In supporting their recovery and the answer was that a house close to campus but off of campus um, and a place where they didn't have to deal with the typical partying on a college campus and be really close to their triggers students in recovery wanted to do well in school and develop that sense of community have fun they wanted to belong but they can't belong they can't belong the same way as another student in the mainstream So, we we know from looking at the conditions on any college campus, I'm not just talking about Fairfield University, but being on a college campus for a student who's in early recovery is really a recipe for relapse. So, oftentimes we found that they needed to commute from home, and I was finding prior to 2013... That Many students who were attending my recovery group, their main struggle was, I can't be here. I want to be part of this. I don't know how to be part of this. I'm different, yet I'm the same. So we wanted to create something that would benefit these students so they could successfully learn to balance their academics and their recovery as along with and alongside of all of those other components, which I discussed, like spirituality and community and recreation and all the things that belong in a 20-year-old's life. So we started to develop some t- criteria for students who were interested in recovery housing. Once once we got the house, <laughs> I became very protective and aware of the students who were in there and what they would need in order to remain sober. So students o- often ask me and potential residents, how much clean time do I need? Well, it's not exactly that black and white. I I take a look at a lot of things. When I have a student in front of me who is interested in the program, I, I look at where they are in their recovery. So if they have a few months clean a student can look a number of different ways. They could be sober or they can be in recovery. And the biggest difference between that is are they clean or are they clean and are they working a program? Um, and oftentimes I look for that student who is inspired by others to build that community and to be a part of something because all of our students in our homes, um, they are community and, and they know that they themselves um, are individuals, but the, the sum of all of them is greater than each individual part, and it really becomes an effort of teamwork. So I'm looking for someone who wants to be part of that, and a lot of times when I have a student in front of me who's looking for suggestion, and they have a lot of humility, which is often find, hard to find in, in a 20-year-old student in recovery, um, but if they're working the steps and they're working their program and they're asking for help and they're clean and sober, they have a little bit of clean time under their bed, I typically look under their belt. I look for three to six months minimum. Um, that is the student who would be ideal for our program to really fit in and to join the ranks and to take suggestion and to be a part of something that's greater than, than, them, than themselves. So it's, it's really not just about being clean. I have a lot of students who come in with well over three to six months and they say, well, I'm not part of AA, but I could be if you, you know, if you let me into your program. And unfortunately, it doesn't work that way. Um, it's, it's really too much of a commitment to ask someone to make that part of their lifestyle in order to secure a residence hall or to secure housing Um, because they have to do it for themselves. They can't do that because it was required as part of a program. It's something that needs to be instilled before they get here. And I think that's why it's so important that I've done a lot of outreach and we've made a lot of connections with area extended care facilities and sober homes and three-quarter ha- houses and halfway houses um, in this area so that they know that they could call me when they have that student that ranges between 18 and 25 years old and they can call me up and say, Lisa, we have a student who's interested in returning to college. That's that's a perfect and ideal situation because they are leaving with all of their recovery tools fresh in their heads, um, and it's a nice transition to come to a university that has a program that looks and mimics and simulates very much what we have found in rehabs and extended care facilities in the area. My background before I got here as the clinical coordinator of the collegiate recovery program was I worked in an inpatient unit, and I worked in an outpatient unit, um, and I facilitated an intensive outpatient program, so I, I understand the needs of those students, so I know what to look for and what those markers are when I have a student sitting in front of me, whether or not they're on that readiness scale. So,
2: um, is it, um, would it be unfair to assume that some of your students may have been in a couple of programs prior to the one that ultimately might refer them to you, Um, and that this is not necessarily something that would immediately resonate for someone who's very, very new in their own recovery?
3: That's a good question, because oftentimes um, it takes more than one try, not for everyone. <laughs> but yeah. I often see students who have um, fallen off a few times, gotten back up, gone back to rehab. Um, to me, it's a sign of resiliency uh, to continue and and not give up even after relapse. So I would take a student who's been to rehab several times, just as I would a student who went to rehab once and it, it clicked and they got it mm-hmm. and they're here. I've had a handful of students as well who were on this college campus who got dismissed from school, came back, um, were sanctioned again for alcohol and drug use, came into my office and said... I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. What do you want me to do? I will do anything. And then you know you have them when they're ready. So I've taken students who have gotten clean right on this college campus and stayed in their dorm or their residence hall until they had the amount of time that they needed uh, that was appropriate for them to move into the house. And then we moved them right in, right from wherever they were living. As long as they were doing the next right thing, I was willing to
2: put them into the house. Isn't that great? So yeah. um, I would imagine that, um, excuse me, that um, news travels uh, amongst students themselves when there's a need and um, support of each other around how to connect with you and what these resources, where they might find these very specific recovery resources within all of your um, um, uh, student um, um, Uh, resource centers and counseling center
3: so part of my job here um, as well as word of mouth and I often have students who come in here and say you know Joe sent me from the house or you know someone else and I heard about your program and I'm just interested to find out what it is those are my favorite students because they'll they'll come in voluntarily, they're interested, they might not be ready, um, but they're in that contemplative stage where they're questioning their use. And when they start to do that, you know, different doors of opportunity begin to open for them and and that's where I really like to explore that with them. And And I've done that with students for an entire semester before they felt like they might be ready. To transition into recovery housing it 's a big commitment, and as you could probably imagine, there aren't a, you know handfuls of students beating down Lisa Arnold 's door to get into recovery housing in a college setting. it doesn 't work that way, so the right. commitment right. the commitment
2: speaks for itself right and and what about the families how, how do you manage the balance because these are definitely emerging adults they are adults legally for sure um and um, their own need for independence, but also um, that their families might very well be very worried about them and wondering about how they're doing. How do you balance that?
3: Well, uh, just to finish up what I was saying... Before it's it's a delicate balance because my other function here is I'm responsible for all the substance abuse assessments on campus and and by that I mean that when a student is sanctioned for alcohol and drug use or documented for an incident that happened on campus of a serious enough nature um, and written up by the Department of Public Safety or a public safety officer on campus they. They are asked to go meet with the dean of students' office, and the dean of students' office will assign them to me. They're often placed on academic probation. Those parents of those students, I often get phone calls of concern because they're actively using. um, They might have gotten arrested. I see a lot of, you know, various incidents that occur, assault situations or DUIs and things that happen Mm -hmm. on every college campus as well as here. And I manage all of those cases as well. So I do get a lot of calls from concerned parents, um, and and it is a fine line. There is confidentiality. I cannot release any information. I can speak generically about the outcome of a situation that doesn't deal specifically with a student, um, but I might be able to speak to what that the future of that student could look like um, if they didn't seek treatment or they they didn't get help. Um, The flip side of that coin is that I'll see a lot of parents of recovery students who initially, and I see a pattern to this, they often call a lot in September (laughs) because their student has, their son has moved in and I will receive a lot of calls of concern, either help with their, you know, their classes or, the other thing that I forgot to mention earlier is that we do have an academic component to our program, uh, which is ah. very important for me to mention uh, that I didn't mention before that's just coming oh. up in my head right now. We have, right. An, we have an academic success coordinator right here on campus.
2: Why don't we start there okay. um, uh, after our very brief break okay, and great. we can delve into that a little, a little bit further.
3: Okay, thanks.
4: You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness.
5: common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders that's westbridge.org family Center recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders
6: you probably don't spend too much time talking about that place down there why not there's now a show where that's mostly what we talk about and so much more It's the Womb Happy Hour with host Lorraine Giordano. It's all about your body and the magical power you possess. Guys, you might want to tune in too. There's no reason to be squeamish. Listen for the Womb Happy Hour, broadcasting live every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health & Wellness Channel.
2: for listening today, this is Eileen Fiore sitting in for Mary Woods, and today's guest is Lisa Arnold, and she is the clinical coordinator for the Collegiate Recovery Program at Fairfield University, and she's been sharing um, information about how her, the recovery houses work at the uh, university campus, but also. Um, an extension of, of just managing recovery overall. Um, Lisa, just before the break, you had um, been uh, about to share with us how um, you're able to incorporate the academic struggle for so many students um, who are balancing so much of life at one time. So I wonder if you could um, go back and um, speak to that for us.
3: Absolutely. So we assign all of our recovery residents to an academic success coordinator. She is Dawn DBS. She works over in the Dolan School of Business. She is actually the assistant dean of the Dolan School of Business, and she helps our students um, every week. They are given an hour with her. It is the mo- one of the most valuable assets of our program. She is responsible for helping them select their courses, make sure that they're on track, lets them know what classes they need. She finds resources for them, tutors. Uh, she helps them structure their schedules so that they can balance out their study time versus Recreation and their, you know, everything that they have going on. Uh, they really rely on her, and I rely on her as well, for um, all kinds of our academic concerns, which really came out of <laughs> after our first year of our recovery house being open. We took a look around, and we said, wow, yay us. We kept everyone. Everyone stayed clean in the program. They really built a great program for themselves and stayed clean. And then we looked at their grades, (laughs) and we went, oh, "Oh, okay. Uh, They might need some help in that area. So. Uh, Dawn kind of came out of that idea that, you know, this is really, although recovery comes first and it, as it should, academics are definitely the second most important reason why they're here. So she provides a lot, a lot of support and a lot of help for, for all of our recovery residents and we have watched all of their GPAs go up since, since they started working with her. So as you could imagine... A lot of the concerns that I get from parents are, how is my child doing academically? And I can speak to that, um, but I'm, I'm pretty limited in the sense that Dawn is well-versed in the academic side of things, and I often refer to her, and we work together to help students with their GPAs and to stay clean, and it really kind of mitigates all of the calls and the parental concerns. But at the same time, uh, we try to teach these parents how to establish appropriate boundaries with their sons because uh, it's really a difficult and transitory time in their lives where they are learning how to be adults and make adult decisions and take the reins and be responsible and be accountable which has become the cornerstone of the program. And if they need help, they can ask for it. But we try to put that on them to, you know, work out things with their recovery as well as their academics being in the house, you know, their relationships with others. So the parents are given this message probably early in the year, although I do receive some calls in September. They're on a learning curve But, you know, I I take some time and I spend, you know, however long I need to to help them calm down or explain how the program works. They all come in for an orientation and an open house the first weekend of school, which is move-in weekend. Our, the collegiate recovery program has its own um, move-in day, so we have all the students come with their families, and we have a lunch, and just and I speak on you know orienting the parents and the residents to what the upcoming academic year is going to look like, kind of give them a picture of the events that are coming up, and how to contact me if needed. But for the most part, we try to put that accountability and that responsibility on their son in order to, you know, navigate this new experience. It's it's a trying time. It's a scary time. Parents are welcome to talk to me, but I'd much rather have one of my recovery students come in and say, Lisa, I really need help. And then we can sort it out. We can work on whatever it is that they need. We have a parent's weekend in October. And the parents, and they came up with this. They initiated this themselves. The parents of all of the residents get together for dinner, and we're invited. And it's a nice celebration to kind of kick off the fall. And then we get together again um, toward the end of the year, like I said, for a graduation party. We invite all of the families back because it's a celebration that, you know, it, it takes a village to help one of our recovery students graduate, and we all like to be there for that and partake in the festivities. We have another big barbecue, and the, the two recovery homes sit next to each other, a uh, large backyard. We do a big barbecue, and we all get to speak. I ordered really special Serenity Prayer coins, and we pass the coins around, and it becomes a really special event where we all hold the coin. It simulates a meeting and we all say something to our graduate, uh, by the time it ends, there isn't a dry eye in the house. <laughs> <laughs> I can well
2: imagine. I can well imagine. Now, um, and within that um, picture, uh, are siblings also a part of the experience at any level? They could
3: be. Um, Occasionally I have siblings who like to come up and and visit the house, and siblings are invited to all of our family events, whether it's parents' weekend or our opening move-in weekend or it's our graduation. Oftentimes the siblings like to come and speak on behalf of their sober brother. Um, That's always a touching thing. and adds a new layer of (laughs) emotion to the event. Um, right. We have had a couple of cases where siblings have gotten sober after their after the, their sibling who's the recovery resident has gotten sober, and that's a unique and wonderful thing to see. As we know that you know there's a huge genetic component for addiction, and and we see it run through families. So it's really inspiring to see families catch on and and join that join in on that.
2: That's wonderful. So, so Lisa, within the the house itself um, and knowing that this is a a chronic illness, how do you manage either relapse for someone who is living in the house or if someone relapses if they were to go home, say, for semester break? Or do they usually stay on campus for semester break and summers? How do you manage that? Well, that's, we handle it on a
3: very, just like our treatment plans are very individualized, our relapse prevention plans are just as individualized. We've had, fortunately, not a lot of cases where students have relapsed or slipped. um, And they are, like I said, handled on a case-by-case basis. For instance, um, they might produce a drug screen that was not clean of all mood-altering substances. Uh, that happened a few years ago. I brought in the student, and our first and foremost is the safety of our resident as well as other residents in the house. So in that particular instance, um, all of the students are required to sign a release of information for an emergency contact so I immediately contacted his father. He lived out of state, so he remained in my office until his dad showed up and we had a family meeting, and it was decided that it wasn't safe for him to return right then back to the house. So his father um, was given several options. They could go home. They could commute from home, or if, like in this particular case, he lived out of state. So they decided to stay in a local hotel until we could begin to sort some things out. And that was so that he could continue mm-hmm. to go to class, which he was functioning and able to do that. And mm-hmm. then what I did was revisit him uh, daily daily and had him do some drug screens. We recreated a 30-day contract for him as to new stipulations and guidelines and conditions and expectations for him to return to the house. Fortunately, um, he had so much support within the house that all the residents wanted for him to return. So we were all working together on this, and we all wanted to see him succeed, um, and he did, and after a period of time, about a week or so, he did move back into the house and, like I said, had a new set of guidelines so that he could remain in the house. And he adhered and he abided by the, the new contract and was able to stay. One other situation, and I think my only other one, was a student who made, um, made a decision for himself that he did not want, want recovery any longer and asked to move back into a residence hall. So we had that happen as well, and I immediately was cooperative and helped him out, and I, I really just want the best for these students and want them to figure it out for themselves. So I, I am close with the Director of Residence Life, got on the phone with her, and we found him housing within a residence hall, and he respectfully and kindly you know, turned in his key and moved out, and it was very amicable. and. Um, we were sad to see him go, but it's really their choice whether or not they want to be in recovery
2: housing. Mhm. Um, well, uh, a couple of other things that I'd like us to explore when we return um, around how you manage um, other community supports and anonymity within the program. So we'll be right back. Okay.
5: Common sense To provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's Westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders.
6: What causes us to be sick? We're not talking about the actual illness or the scientific cause of illnesses. We're talking about your body and health. Listen for the healing whisper of return to peace.
4: The root causes of disease can be better prevented and cured using an integration of modern medicine and holistic healing techniques. Become educated by tuning in to Generation Regeneration with Sandra Guy Malhotra. Conventional medicine does have its place, but it should not be the only course of action. It's all about regenerating and healing our whole selves through better choices in lifestyle, foods, spiritual connection, and stress management. Tune in every Tuesday at noon Pacific time, 3 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Helping you make informed decisions for your life. This is Voice America Health and Wellness.
2: a very extensive conversation today with Lisa Arnold, who comes to us from Fairfield University's Collegiate Recovery Program. She is the clinical coordinator of that program, and um, she's certainly been sharing a great deal about her experiences um, working with the young men in the recovery homes. Um, And um, one of the things, um, Lisa, that we did not touch on as of yet is... um, the element of anonymity that is so much a part of recovery and community support recovery programs. So I wonder if you could speak to how you manage that on a college campus.
3: Right. So it's really not about how I manage it per se. I think it's about um, an individual decision that's made by each and every one of our recovery students to be respected with any choice that they decide to make. Um, having said that, most of our students um, are not really bound by their anonymity. In a lot of cases, they give me... they make make it known that they're clean. And they ask me, as a matter of fact, Lisa, if you have any students who need help, please call me. Um, And they all rally around other students who are struggling. Like I said, we're going to have a screening of Generation Found in March. And I said to them all, I said, you know, this is part of being in the recovery program. However, if you're uncomfortable with, you know, saying what, What your purpose is, Um, I have two speakers on the panel, actually, who are going to sit with me after the screening in front of what could be up to 700 listeners in in the audience um, to hear about, you know, just the opioid epidemic in Connecticut, and that's really what we're addressing Mm -hmm. Um, at our screening, they are willing and more than happy to to share their experience, strength, and hope with with the masses, whether that be students or people in the community, parents. Um, So I'm lucky in that respect because I have a lot of support. And I can remember years ago when I used to sit in this office and You know, try to speak about recovery till I'm blue in the face, but I'm not a peer, and it's so powerful and meaningful to be able to bring in someone who's your age, who's going through the same thing, um, to really help you out with that. So, I always have someone on hand. They're, They're all my backup for whatever we need, and and they're not afraid. They're not afraid, and and they speak at meetings, and they have various commitments, and a lot of people, they they welcome back to the house and say, hey, this is where I live, and this is a recovery house, and my life doesn't look much different from yours, except my lifestyle's, you know, a little bit different from your average college student. Um, And and they're proud of that, and they're they're grateful for the time that they have. So I've learned a lot from them in that
2: respect. Mm -hmm. Yes, I can well imagine. Um, and one um, particular group that we haven't um, talked a lot about in specifics is um, students who have co-occurring disorders um, and what other kinds of resources are available for students who may also have an attending bipolar disorder, for example, Um um you know acute depression or right. a major depressive disorder in addition to um a substance use disorder right um, and, and you as you
3: know as, yeah as, as you know dual diagnosis is more than common in this field uh we see a lot of dual diagnosis with depression anxiety bipolar um emerging ocd and even other forms of psychosis, ADD, we have a lot of. So we're, we're really careful in how we navigate that. Typically, students who have already been diagnosed will come on board with um, prescribers already, and I work directly with them in a case management way that, you know, I can either, you know, reach out to them on a regular basis if they're doing therapy with us within the counseling department or if it's emerging in such a way that they might need a psych evaluation when they get to our program, we have two on-site psychiatrists in counseling and psychological services who I work directly with. One is um, the medical director, actually, of the psych floor of Bridgeport Hospital, very well versed in dual diagnosis with this age uh, cohort and this population, so we're very lucky with our resources because we can provide any adjunct mental health treatment that um, our residents need in terms of psychiatry, medication. Um, I monitor all of their medication use, of course, to make sure that it's <laughs> they're not using any mood altering substances to mitigate their symptoms and we we just go from there and it it becomes a,
2: you know un-
3: it is a normal thing in a recovery house setting
2: very nice though um, are the um, folks also i mean you mentioned a lot of recreational activities. how do you manage um the, you know other kinds of wellness um Sleep, for example, with this particular age group can be pretty challenging, um, and nutrition, um, uh, nicotine use uh, that sort of um, thing that 's also a huge component of uh, sustaining wellness and recovery
3: right, right. Um, and <laughs> I wish my house manager was here because he he really oversees all the um, goings on in the house. And we have provided the guys with an opportunity to take a cooking class, which is really exciting, um, to learn some nutrition skills. And actually, she is a recovery coach who is also a chef, which uh, I really hit the jackpot. She (laughs) is going to come into the house and teach the guys healthy cooking and eating. Um, We really try to monitor their sleep hygiene. We do have a curfew in the house, not for them, but for visitors. So visitors are not allowed in the house past midnight. But the guys can come and go as they please. We, we treat them as adults, and we really try to encourage them to find a healthy balance. And, and it's really a work in progress with sleeping and eating and, you know, any addic- addictions that are, you know, can cross over with alcohol and drug use. And, and we do address that in our initial screening um, at every intake and assessment I ask students, are you concerned about any of these other areas in your life? Because we can provide resources for those as well. And Mm -hmm. that's often something that comes up in individual therapy. Sometimes I'll run a group on eating and sleep hygiene, and we address those issues as
2: they come up. Wonderful, wonderful. So how do you take care of yourself? (laughs) <laughs> with such a dynamic program with multiple needs of lots of people and a um, number of connections that continually have to be made with lots of balls in the air. So how do you take care of you?
3: Um, well, I try to stay balanced as well. Um, I'm here full time. I have three children, all different ages at home, 14, 13, and 7. <laughs> so we're we're pretty busy. When I get home, it's You know, my second full-time job starts, and they are a joy as well as what I do here. This is my second best thing I tell everyone, um, (laughs) aside from my children, this is my most important thing that I do. And, you know, I've been in this field for over 20 years in various settings, in detox and rehab, extended care facilities. I'm, I'm here now in the school setting. It's my 15th year. And to be in a role where I can watch a 20-year-old get clean and sober and sustain their recovery, um, I'm amazed and inspired every day by that journey. And I'm so grateful to be part of that that I think it carries over into other areas of my life that, you know, I'm just really lucky.
2: I can well imagine um, the the joy and gratitude that being in your setting would um, would create for you. Um, And, Lisa, is there any particular emphasis that um, yourself and the university might place on um, other kinds of prevention? Uh, You know, not all... Of the students who may be abusing substances would necessarily grow to um, a complete or full-blown substance use disorder. But um, what other kinds of activities are you folks able to engage in that continues to maintain awareness and raise consciousness amongst the students and perhaps even the staff? Um, Hopefully you have full support there, too. Yes. Uh, Should I answer? (laughs) Of course. Okay, so we, we would need a whole other hour
3: for that question. But, oh, okay. Um it, I, I very much work in the premise of harm reduction and so I've run many groups in the past that you know inspire motivational interviewing and the ability to meet a student where they're at. We've run groups on thinking about your drinking and so just to kind of figure out where their readiness is and if they're willing to change that, the idea comes from, you know, it's gotta come from within. I can sit here and tell you all of the things that you need to do, but I'm not in the business of doing that. Um, It's free choice, and it's personal preference, and if you would like to get clean, I'm going to help you do that, and if not, I can continue to explore that with you, and that's really kind of how our prevention program works. Um, And that's a
2: wonderful, that is an absolutely wonderful way to wrap up our show today, (laughs) Um, for sure, with a message of hope. Someone is always there to give a hand. Um, when a person is ready uh, for the intervention, so thank you so much, Lisa, for joining us today. Appreciate your input and to, to all the viewers, uh, the all of our listeners today. Thank you all. Thank you.